for most of us in the first world, those things that make something a home are, are psychological. It's somewhere that makes us feel safe. It's somewhere that makes us feel loved. It's somewhere that, where we feel provided for. It's somewhere where we can sort of engage in these sorts of activities. That's why it's not just a house. The difference is really psychological. Uh, and so, you know, the question that I'm interested in is, you know, how can we bring psychology to kind of understand that connection? Welcome to Talk Design Show, where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey, your host, and having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Professor Sam Gosling. Now, Sam is somewhere between a professor in Austin, Texas, and in Melbourne, Australia. And currently, he's on his summer sojourn in Berlin. I had a guest who was on, uh, sorry, the guest, uh, a listener who was on Talk Design, listening to Talk Design, and they said to me, you've got to talk to this guy. He's fascinating. So I have tracked him down, and it's been a couple of months of backwards and forwards, and we've finally got together. Sam, welcome so much to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It should be a bit of fun to talk about people's brains from a psychologist's point of view and behaviours, I'm sure. <laughs> well, you do it all day. I mean, I think it's fun to talk about houses and, you know, structures and buildings and stuff. Um, but then it, the the thing that we find in the design industry so often is, is that we actually have a better understanding of psychology would be a great thing because in residential market, we are often... I would say poorly marriage counselling um, because, mm-hmm. you know, like somebody always has to win and lose in, in any, well, I say win and win, win and lose. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always somebody who concedes uh, either budget forces it or dominance forces it in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Um, but to start out, do you want to tell us a bit about what you do with um, being a professor of psychology and how you base your work. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really interested in kind of the intersection between people and space, uh, how we affect our spaces, how our spaces affect us. Um, And I think it's, you know, one of those things that's incredibly important and powerful, but it's one of those things that is sort of so common that we often you know, don't explicitly notice it, you know. So, it's, yeah. I mean, if you think about, for example, you know, what is it that makes something a home? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's typically, I mean, for those of us, you know, who aren't, you know, uh, fighting, you know, famine and, and yep, <laughs> climate, you know, disasters and so on. But yeah. for most of us in the first world, those things that make something a home are, are psychological. It's somewhere that makes us feel safe. It's somewhere that makes us feel loved. It's somewhere that, where we feel provided for. It's somewhere where we can sort of engage in these sorts of activities. That's why it's not just a house. The difference is really psychological. Uh, and so, you know, the question that I'm interested in is, you know, how can we bring psychology to kind of understand that connection? Um, and, and, and they're really sort of, I think, you know, just at the very basic level, sort of two elements 
that there's two places that psychology can help. One, one is in terms of sort of the content of psychology, um, of in terms of you know understanding what we know about emotions or a personality or various things like that. And then the second is essentially the method, the psych- the scientific method. I talk to a lot of architects and design professionals, um, and they will tell me, you know, that in their work they do research and. It is research from a architect's perspective, but it's nothing like what a researcher, a scientific researcher would recognize as research in terms of the sort of systematically understanding things, creating a framework, um, making sure you have sufficient sample sizes, running statistical analyses um, and, and so on. And, you know, I think it's tremendously important the space around us is incredibly important for our well-being, for our productivity, for our creativity, for all kinds of things. Mm. And so my view is that we need to apply uh, systematic methods to it to like understand that. this important relationship. Well, it's interesting, you know, like you say, research. Um, I go and see a client and I, I call it fishing. You know, I'm, I've mm-hmm. got a line and I'm throwing bits of bait out and if their eyes line mm-hmm. up and, and bite it, um, then, you know, mm-hmm. you may have hit something. As you say, it wouldn't be called scientific research by any means. And I might say mm-hmm. to them, what was that <laughs> when they when I see their eyes yeah. light up or and, totally. and you do you do start to see patterns and you can actually um, create patterns as well with people. And as you say, mm-hmm. very much. Um, agree a home is what you mentally create out of a space that you're in and Mm -hmm. it's uh finding people's drivers that make it a space that it makes them feel secure uh whether that's Mm -hmm. something from their past or whether it's something um perceived you know from from something else or whether it is actually um something that they knowingly know you know like uh, i could give you so many different examples of the way people mm. do this in our in our business um but i'd be far more interested in yours uh, because i'm a, again a great believer of people's wellness is related to how they interact with the spaces around them their mental wellness as well as their physical wellness so you know whether that be um whether they're relating to nature and then this built structure that we stick in nature um, and mm-hmm. how well it relates to nature also determines how they feel. And the, the mm-hmm. environment outside, you know, I always think, yeah, you know, if there's a war, if you grew up in a war zone, then that's normal. And so a big, thick concrete wall with no windows and it probably would feel a lot safer than a glass wall that had Absolutely. a beautiful view. And so our environmental situation determines our you tell me you tell me what it determines yeah well I totally agree and I think what you're talking about where you are asking your uh, clients and looking for their eyes to light up and looking for these sorts of patterns so that is precisely essentially the first part of the sort of the the uh, application of psychology that I mentioned but it's really taking psychology explicitly and understanding you know yeah. As many do, but not all, the, you know, the functions of the building 
are not just in terms of regulating temperature and structure and those sorts of things. It's mm -hmm. also in, equally importantly in making sure that we can um, undertake our uh, and uh, our lives and do the activities that we want to and feel like the kinds of people that we want to be and you know that will essentially assist those uh, sort of everyday and psychological uh, tasks. So I think you know and I and I think from my experience, you know, design professionals and architects, they sort of vary in the degree to which they do that. Obviously, you're, you know, you're somebody who, who, who does that too. Mm. Um, my work has been incredibly influenced by somebody who just kind of called me out of the blue once, uh, an architect based in uh, Austin and Colorado called Christopher Travis. And he's sort of the only person I know um, who really takes it the sort of this psychological perspective and really places it front and center of everything he does. So it's, right. it's the very starting point. Now, how he differs from me is that, you know, he's essentially doesn't have a scientific background. So he hasn't, you know, put it, you know, scaled it up. So that's yes. something that, you know, in, in some of my more recent work I'm trying to do, I'm trying to take some of the ideas that um, he has, um, you know, come up with as a brilliant, you know, insightful person and trying to make it systematic. I mean, you know, you can think of the history of psychology, right? You had people like Freud and Jung and yeah. many others who had these brilliant, important, true, in a sense, probably insights, but they were just kind of, you know, coming up with ideas and basing them on experience and so on. You know, to get to what we call sort of modern day psychology, you have to take those ideas and scale them up within the context of a scientific framework and, and, and you know and essentially yeah be rigorous exactly yeah. so it's not just because otherwise you know you know you can be sitting there having a conversation with another architect and, and you say one thing and the other person says something else and you have no way of resolving it it's just yeah. you know just argument you know and that's that's the point of the scientific method is you can I can say, well, you know, I think, you know, that this sort of an environment, you know, creates a sense of welcoming and you can say, oh, that's complete rubbish, Sam. No, it's com something yeah, well, completely different. It does for you, And Sam, it's only through the me, method. It's awful. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there's nothing that will, I mean, oh. nothing that will get two architects, you know, more in a more engaged discussion than, <laughs> than talking about somebody else's building and how it's completely hopeless and doesn't, you know, doesn't, you know, how could you possibly, how could they build a building like that? You what know, idiots. and it's like, yeah. well, yeah, yeah, what idiots. Yeah. And so the idea is, well, okay, but it, rather than sort of just everybody, you know, pointing fingers and, and, and wondering about it. Let's do it systematically. Let, let's apply this to, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, and I think a lot of it comes from the, you know, the, the training of, of architecture, you know, as you know, far better than I is essentially, you know, stems from the kind of the artistic training, you know, it's a studio course and it's, you're reading about history and yep. you're doing those things. Yep. You're not taking classes in measurement. You're not taking classes in, in uh, statistics and uh, analysis well, you're and so on. And I'm taking classes in psychology. Or psychology, yeah. Well, I mean, we actually analysed, you know, a bunch of sort of uh, uh, syllabi, you know, the courses from the top architecture programmes, you know, and some of them have an optional course in psychology, but it's really, you know, very, very small role. And, you know, and I love, I love art. Yeah. And I love monumental art. And I think art is very important. Mm. But, uh, you know, and but I think that buildings and the spaces we live in are way too important 
to put purely in the hands of artists. I mean, we don't trust artists to run the power grid or the police force <laughs> or, or, or something like that. And I think buildings are as important well, as the power the, grid um, and the police force. Sure, we want them to look good, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's too important. So when, that, you, you when you reflect on that as a, I, I'm, yeah. I'm with you, by the way, I go, mm. you know, like <clears throat> whether it be artists or scientists or whatever, it's got to be some sort of collaborative, um, mm -hmm. but not necessarily uh, any one lead source. But you, you, you said before about it being yeah. systematic and mm -hmm. I've had a, a, a fair bit of experience in systematic innovation. And mm -hmm. you, so you can do innovation work and, you know, it's brainstorming or idea generation. And there's, a, there's you know, probably about five or six systems in the world that are actually kind of individualized in that. Mm -hmm. And then you can go, okay, how do you systematically trap so that you're actually measuring your model every time so that the, mm -hmm. the model that you, you do it by goes through very routine steps um, and I used to do this with Airbus and other big companies, mm -hmm. very, very measured routine steps. You've got to do this step to get to the next yeah. step. You've got to trap the data this way. Then with that data this way, mm -hmm. then you can employ the answers that we've been given for it. You know, this very mm -hmm. um, routine step. Regimented of, way. Yeah, very regimented. But in it, um, the thing that I suppose stood out to me more than anything was because of the regiment of it and the rigor of it, you always got an answer. Mm. You were never left without an answer. And the answer, right. or, or in this case, we already had the answers. What we were trying to find was the questions. And so we would find the questions and then employ the right answers. And in doing that, I, can't, I remember my first sort of experiences and it just going, oh, why would you ever bother brainstorming? Brainstorming is just mm -hmm. random idea picking. Mm -hmm. It's who can leap the highest or grovel the mm -hmm. lowest or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's just random mm -hmm. idea picking. You need to be able to creatively think, but then you've got to be able to trap it and put it into a framework. And absolutely. And architecture, my experience of it, and interior design and, and design in general, there's very little, um, uh, what would you say, systematic pathway. And yet, as you say, it makes the most outcome of being able to repeat the success. Um, right. Regulation puts it in place when you make a car. It puts it in place when you make an aeroplane. Um, right, absolutely. But it doesn't put it in place a little, but it puts a little bit in place when you try and make a house and a little bit mm -hmm. more in place when you try and make a building, you know, a mm -hmm. big building. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, really interesting. Possibly engineering as a discipline has more systematic approach. Yeah, it, it certainly does. But, you know, the, uh, you need to sort of, you know, combine that systematicity with enough uh, uh, room for, you know, differences, right? Because normally, you know, because you know, the obvious thing is, well, you know, you different people like different buildings and how do you account for, you know, individuality yeah. and those sorts of things. Yeah. And, you know, we have, you know, but we have a model for that, right? We have a model for that in the concept of personality, which I think you can apply to something like 
uh, architectural design. So take, you know, so one of our sort of the very famous people in our field, Charles Murray, you know, in the 1930s, I think it was, said, you know, in some sense, we're like uh, all other people. In some sense, we're like some other people. And in some sense, we're like no other people. So in a sense, you know, virtually all human, there are some things that virtually all humans like, you know, vir- you know yeah. and that's probably true in architecture too, right? Is that most people, you know, given a window will choose to, look out of it rather than turn their back to it or something or yes. something like you know yeah. there's certain yeah. things that virtually maybe not everybody but virtually everybody yeah every we're, normal we're, we're getting we're getting very yeah. high in we're the human percentages yeah yeah right yeah we are a certain biological and type of thing that has certain patterns but then you know in some senses we're like some other people so you know extroverts and introverts are different but you know ex- extroverts are like other extroverts in the sense that they enjoy going to a party and interacting with people and that gives them energy and introverts are like other introverts in the sense that they come out of a party exhausted and tired because it's been draining for them because and, the extroverts and, but, live you know, with their energy right yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly what happened and so you know so in some senses we're like some other people and you know and, and that's you can apply that to presumably yeah. to sort of uh, architectural and design preferences too is that yeah some people like certain types of uh, buildings or designs or looks or interiors and so on. And, you know, I mean, there are some things that many people like, but others don't like it, you know, but that doesn't mean just because some like it and others don't, there's nothing to it. And then the third part of it is, of course, you know, in some sense, we're like no other people. Like even those, you know, you can have two extroverts who in some cases are different. You know, one of them likes, you know, sport and various things. Another one likes to go, you know, rowing yeah. on a Thursday or, you know, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Or there's the something like, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there are some, and the same thing applies to, you know, because, you know, even if you have some people, you know, two people who both like kind of a, you know, modern industrial design, yeah. there'll be differences amongst them. And it seems to me that that insight is something the you know the fact that people are different and their subjectivity and those sorts of things does not need to it's not an argument against being systematic it just means we need to have our kind of our, our levels of systematicity in the sense we can you know we can just need to say okay in what ways are people all alike in what ways are people some people alike and others and in what ways are we all truly unique so we essentially have to match our levels of systematicity to these different levels, whether we're talking about personality or design and architecture preferences. So, so when you go to do something like this, because I totally hear what you're mm. saying, these, these, you know, that, like those three mm. broad boxes, how do you even start? Like what, what's the framework of the architecture? Um, what's the mm. framework that mm. you lay down mm. Um, to get a first sample, how, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a design question because it's like, yeah, how the hell do you take this big ball of string and decide mm-hmm. where to pull on it mm-hmm. to get a start point? Well, you will again. We can take we can take our kind of lead from how it happened in personality, right? Is that is that you know until essentially the 1980s in psychology, personality psychology was a discipline where everybody was coming out with their favorite personality term. You know, somebody was into creativity. Somebody else was into need for cognition. Somebody else was interested in, uh, you know, uh, anxiety. You know, so everybody was studying their own thing. But yeah. you know, but then you look at it and say, well, okay, well, how do they relate to things? You know, how how you know how is need for cognition? Is that more similar to creativity than uh, you know than 
tradition or so you know you, you know how how do all these things relate and so then the field realized okay we got to get we got to get these things in order like you know how many different traits do we need do we if we're going to describe <laughs> fully describe humans do we need uh thousands or do we need um you know just a few and and essentially that was was the beginning of what is now known as the big five framework of personality, where essentially, if you trace its history back, it started with, within the 1930s, uh, these two famous people going through the unabridged dictionary and writing down every single word that can be used to describe a person, you know, from very broad things like good and bad to, you know, really, you know, you know, like, yeah, like, like whatever you're some, some defined term of anxiety or yeah, something like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Exactly, something you know. So yeah, what a nautical, you know, love of the sea, nauticality, or those yeah. whatever it is. You know, <laughs> you take all of those things and like, do we need them all, or or you know, do some, you know, is it true that you know, if you're if you you know like parties, is it true that you also kind of tend to be energetic? And so what right. they did essentially, you know, in a in a very in a very uh, 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 brief way, is they took a lot of these words and then they essentially administered personality questionnaires with these hundreds of terms and then applied a, a statistical uh, procedure called factor analysis, which essentially finds out, okay, which words tend to go together? Is it true that if you say you're social, you are more likely to say you're also energetic, but that's completely unrelated to how nervous you say you are or something like that. Right. And what they did through this process is they discovered that they're essentially these five very broad dimensions of personality. Now, you know, this will be familiar to people. You know, it's, it's a similar sort of thing as what the Myers-Briggs are doing, which is saying, you know, the Myers-Briggs is saying there are essentially these four broad dimensions of personality, you know, mm -hmm. the ENTPs or whatever it is, those things. And there have been many other systems that have done it, but the big five is really the most kind of widely used, most well accepted, at least in scientific circles. And it's the idea that there's these five broad dimensions that capture most of the traits, you know, and it's, yeah. it's not just saying there are five. And so we all have scores in all five. You aren't one of the five. So everybody essentially uh, has a score on these five dimensions, which is, and which I'll name it. So the first is like, like the one we're all pretty familiar with, which is sort of extroversion versus introversion. Mm -hmm. And it, that, and these are broad. So when we say extroversion, this captures things that are narrower traits that tend to go together. So you know, the research has shown that those people, on average, not everyone, those people who tend to be talkative also tend to be energetic. They tend to be cheerful. They tend to be energetic. They mm -hmm. tend to be more socially dominant. And that's mm -hmm. just, you know, empirically true. You know, it's, it's not true of everyone. There are some social people who aren't cheerful. But on average, most people are. It, it and plays the, out. The, yeah, and those things tend to go together, and that's the broad domain known as extroversion. And then mm -hmm. there's another broad domain, which is unrelated to the other five, which is known as agreeableness, which sort of contrasts people who are kind of kind and warm and sympathetic and trusting and trustworthy from those who are more direct and cold uh, and critical. Right. And then, then the third dimension is what's known as conscientiousness like it's, it's a really bad term for it it's it's really people who kind of think before they act it's sort of it's you know the frontal lobe in the brain functions it's things that who essentially plan they are not impulsive uh they have to-do lists you know they buy stuff before it runs out they show up on time they're organized all of those sorts of things 
versus the opposite. And this is the dimension actually that's, that, that predicts job performance in virtually every occupation. People who are high on conscientiousness do better in At jobs. Work. You know, of course. Of yeah, course. Yeah. In, in most of them. And do they do so better the, as entrepreneurs? Uh, yes, they, yeah, they, they do. Yeah, so entrepreneurs are, t- typically they do pretty well. The Because, you, you know, you need, this is really the kind of just getting stuff done. Yeah. You know, yeah. getting stuff done thing. And in virtually every job, requires getting stuff done well especially yeah, if but, you monetize at some point you've got to sell something so yeah um, you've got but there's to some people who, but there's some people even under those circumstances who can't you know who just can't you know return a phone call or show up on time or buy stuff before it runs out you know those sorts of you know <laughs> Of always looking for the keys, that kind of thing. Wait, you know. everybody, anyway, so everybody listening can relate <laughs> to that one a hundred percent. And they're all scaling in their heads right now. Yeah, oh yeah. shit, <laughs> this is where mm-hmm. I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and those things are important. And you know, and you can you know, well, we can talk in a little bit about how the, the implications they have for people's environments. But anyway, let's get finish yeah, the, let's go so the, the Yeah, so the, yeah. So the next dimension is again, it's a, one of these badly labeled ones, and it is called neuroticism but it's not it versus emotional stability so it's not neurotic in kind of that sort of everyday sense it's really just essentially people who are kind of easily stressed high strung they are um uh yeah they tend to be so anxious warriors they tend to be more temperamental they tend to be yeah, more ah, moody okay. yeah, versus yeah, people yeah. versus versus people on the other end of the scale who just kind of tend to be you know less worried about you know there are some people who you know like a car door slams and they'll jump you know yes. or, or, or something like that yeah. you know we're just sort of you know, and essentially you know you can think of it as i think a helpful way of thinking about neuroticism because you might say well why is anybody neurotic what what good is that uh, you can think of it as a sense essentially a sensitivity to threat to what might go wrong right so there's some people who are always thinking about well you know you say hey let's all go to the beach but and they'll say yeah but what if it's windy or what if the you know the tide yeah. comes in or what yeah. if we get stumped by a jellyfish or you know they're their, their mind is immediately attuned to what might go wrong. To the risk. You know? And so, yeah, and of course, and of course, you know, in a, in a very safe world, that's in a, in a way, uh, uh, you know, not, uh, not they, functional they, because, because you're worrying about dangers that don't exist. Mm-hmm. But in a dangerous environment, they're the ones who survive. You want that person with you. you if there are dangers, and you want to be, yeah, 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 you, want, yeah. you need to be sensitive to those, those, those threats, you know. That one fascinates and, me. That one, we will come back to that neuroticism one because we get sure. clients like that. So yeah, go for five. Mm. And then the fifth one is what's known as uh, openness to experience. Now, note, note that I didn't say openness to feelings or open. You know, so it's not it's not people who are emotionally open. It, it's in, it's more of an intellectual openness. So these are people who tend to be broad-minded, who like to who for, for whom difference is interesting. Uh, they are they tend, and this is the one that's most related to things like adventurousness, creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also empirically related to uh, political orientation to to liberal orientation Uh, yes it's quite closely related to that versus people on the low end of the scale who tend to be more conventional they tend to be more concrete Uh, they uh traditional conventional yeah and and those sorts of things so you know the, the way the way i kind of think about it is you know is is difference you know how do you feel about something new you know so the you know the person who's very high on openness they go into a restaurant 
and they open the menu and they say, I've never heard of that. I'll have it. I'll have Bring it, it on. <laughs> Whereas the person, the person low on openness goes, hey, I'm going to this restaurant I always come to and I'll have the spaghetti because, I, you know, I like what I know and I know what I like. Bring me the spaghetti again, please. Or, or whatever oh, it is. That's so funny. That's so funny because that's the way I, I, I am such the traveler and such um, open to experiences. But if I go to a restaurant, um, I, I, I do this thing. It drives my wife nuts before we go out. If it's a new restaurant, I eat before I leave. In fact, I just about always eat before I go to a restaurant if I'm at home. And she's like, why? We're going out to eat. And I go, yeah, but I don't want to be hungry. <laughs> so I'll eat the most basic food at home so I'm not hungry when I get there because then I get to make a decision that I can play with. Whereas if I get right. there and I'm hungry, I'll have the steak, you know, for as an analogy. Right, right. I have the steak or yeah. I have the pasta because I go, shit, I'm hungry and I know that will feed me. Yeah. Um, yeah exactly. But it's that it allows so, you to. And yet I'm not conscious, conscientious enough to really plan that far ahead, but I still do those. <laughs> Funny how you protect yourself in, in certain ways. When I travel, I eat, I always eat to, for, for the energy of the eating first. I'm not eating for flavor and stuff like that. I'm just yeah. eating because mm, I need right. to. And then I'll go looking. Then I'll go searching. Yeah. But yeah. get the basic, get fed first so that I'm not making irrational decisions. Um, yeah. And then going, oh, shit, what have I got this for? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. It's so funny when you list those, how much you, like, mm-hmm. I, I play with how I see myself. Um, yeah, so everybody should, everybody sort of should be able to kind of place themselves like on all five dimensions. You know, and there's lots of kind of, if you, if you, you know, if your listeners want to go and, Take a, there's lots of online tests. We've been collecting, you know, big five data for years. So, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not a plug. It's, we, you know, but if you want to, you can go to like outofservice.com and there's a website called outofservice.com. It's, it's not a money making one. It's, it's, I'm just so, it's a good place you can get, take the test if you want to and, and go to the big five test. Take the test and you can see your big five scores uh, there for those who are interested. Uh, the other thing I should point out though is, you know, is, is that, these are just personality traits, right? Uh, you know, and if you think of personality traits, it's sort of like people's tendencies to do things over time. You know, are you extroverted? Are you careful? Yeah. Are you calm? But there's much more to personality than that, which is not captured by the big five. So, you know, things like our values, our goals, our roles, or even deeper things like our identity, this kind of narrative sense of who we are as the person and how we have become the person we are today based on the experiences we've had in the past and how that will make us somebody in the future. Those sorts of things are deeper, more complex, and are not captured by the big five. And are actually, they're studied a lot less because they're difficult to measure. They're difficult to measure at scale. Yeah, well, yeah, getting the scale of measurement and um, like you were saying, like how we got to that question, you know, was like, well, this is a place you would start and then you go from there and then you start to break it down further and further from that point. I, I find, yeah. um, you know, the, the the fact that you 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 said then about um, people, and we deal a lot with in designing homes, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of status involved. There's a lot of mm-hmm. status involved Absolutely. over how much um, they can afford, and there's a lot of status involved in um, how they'll be seen by others, and also. Mm-hmm how it will relate directly to them. I have this mm-hmm. 
I have this thing that I do with my wish list. So I send a wish list to clients and I say, if they're a couple, I say, I want you to set, fill them out completely separately as if the yeah. other person mm-hmm. in this relationship didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I want yeah. you to rank them one to three. Mm-hmm. One, um, mm-hmm. uh, this project will not happen without it. No discussion with your partner. This project mm-hmm. will not happen without it. Number two is... I would really love this if we can have it. And number three is you as the designer would be a genius if I got this. Um, and, <laughs> and then I say, I want, you can, you can then go and make a third list, but I want all three because I want to see yeah. who won what things mm. and where you um, gave up on something mm. because the other person had something more pressing. Mm. And um, yeah. Because if I can get you one of those things that was on your number one that you gave up on, then yeah. I'm giving you number three and I'm the genius. So it's all <laughs> self-serving. It's, <laughs> but it's well, like I think, yeah, a game I'm, of psychology with them. Well, it's useful, in, I imagine, in many respects. One of, one of which is, you know, so you, people have a record of, of what they said they want. Yes. Because, you know, because otherwise, like, you know, I do the same thing with my classes. I say, okay, so what do you want to get out of this class? Because by the end of the class, they, the goalposts have moved completely. So, you know, you, so at the end of the class, I give them back their sheet that they filled out at the beginning and say, okay, did you get all those things? And to remind them that they actually got what they wanted, even though they, you know, may now have moved the goalposts, you know, so it's, it's a it's little bit of scope aspect. creep. <laughs> so uh, the, the, the architect I mentioned, Christopher Travis, does something similar. And he, he adds an element to it that I think is quite important, which is he adds a kind of playfulness to it and says, you, you know, you know, in, in your fantasy. So he because yeah. he think you know, he says, you know, even if you tell people I'd really like this, um, you know, they may not be you know, they may not, fe- they may have these financial considerations or the other person's feelings or what's, you know, viable, sort of just unconsciously blocking them. So, you know, he, I th- so he does what you're talking about, but he does it sort of, in a, in, he tries to make it kind of playful and game-like. As about so to the say, people yeah. fe- so people feel they can say, you know, I want a drawbridge or, uh, you know, or I want, you know, I, you know, I don't don't know what it would be. Whatever it is. I don't know what it would whatever be. Yeah, yeah, is. whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And then because some of those things might be viable or, or you know, and, and, and those, those sorts of things. I love that I'm interested. point. <laughs> yeah. I love that point about be, uh, he gives them permission to be in their fantasy, yeah. not in the real right. world. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, where they're self-censoring. Even even mm-hmm. if you tell them to go ahead, there will, there will be that. Now, I'd be interested to know how you handle this question that, you know, Chris Travis has told me about, which is that, you know, he says that one of the biggest issues is that people think they know what they want or will make them happy, but they're often mistaken about it. They think, okay, I want this huge, big living room, mm-hmm. you know, open plan kitchen and that will, but in fact, maybe for some reason it doesn't because, you know, what they really want is a place, I don't know, the place to concentrate or who, or who knows what they want. So how do you, how do you handle the fact that, you know, sometimes, yeah, pe- people may not have self-insight. I mean, this is something, you know, we're, we, we're trying yeah. to do all the time in psychology. We're faced with this thing that people may be deluded about themselves, you know, and they may be deluded about that, what, they, what would make them, you know, a, 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 what they want in a space too. One of the, one of the pieces with that, that's, um, because it's such a good question around how, how you've got to approach it. it one of the pieces is, 
is that it's infinitely more challenging with a couple than it is with an individual because mm -hmm. the couples observe each other and they've got patterns that they are um, a part of and in that they do not want to necessarily um, tell a stranger something, me being mm. a stranger, tell the stranger something that their partner may not know about them or that they don't want their, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, this, right. there's this hedging. Um, yeah. And so getting them very much into a, a, a bit of a playful, cheeky state is kind of fun. And also, mm -hmm. this sounds a bit wrong when you say it, but playing them off against each other. So having in a joyful way, you know, like like you will ask them about something and this is in the fishing expedition. Um, yeah. And you'll ask them about something and then you'll go, I'll go, did you just raise your eyebrows then like this? <laughs> and did you just roll your eyes? Mm. And like, so mm -hmm. tell me about that and, and try and take them away mm. from that. Absolutely. And I, I, I often will say this with people, you know, I think Steve Jobs was the one who said it. Um, people don't know what they want because we haven't told them what they can have yet. And right. so, so we're inventing the future. Um, yeah. Getting them to play in an imaginative state is certainly, and that's where I love what Christopher Travis is saying with the word fantasy, getting them to play in that imaginal state, mm. like, and that's why I say to them, I want them to make their list completely separately from each other as if the other person doesn't exist. Yeah. It's not about the other person, it's about them. Yeah. Um, you know, you show people, you show people examples, and I do this, I mm -hmm. show people examples of things, whether it's my work or somebody else's work, or they show me mm -hmm. examples. But understanding what they see in the example and then what this example makes them feel. And when they go, oh, I don't like that with yeah, something, yeah. that's a great, yeah. a great start point because you say, what yeah. is it that you don't like? Is it, and they go, I don't yeah. know, just I don't like it. You know, it's a blanket right. statement. And digging into that point where I, I would say to them, so do you like the windows? Oh, yeah, they're okay. Do you like mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. flooring? No, mm -hmm. no, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't mm -hmm. like that color at all. Oh, but you don't yeah. mind it being in timber. Oh, no, no, I like timber, but I don't like yeah, that yeah. colour. Mm. Oh, well, right. do you prefer lighter or would you prefer darker? Oh, I don't mind mm. that it's dark or light. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Is there anything on there? Well, I don't like all those knots on it. Mm. I don't like mm. all those knots in the wood. It doesn't look smooth. Mm. Oh, okay. So right. there would be an insight, you know, that I go, oh, okay. Right. Um, but they, right. they, they see something broadly, or and often it is visual. Um, they see it broadly, but they they can't define it until you kind of pick right. it apart. And so I do right. a lot they of that. Yeah, they're mm -hmm. picking it apart. Mm -hmm. um, so then you go, ah, oh, so if I showed you, I'll, I'll look for two examples then. If I showed you this, which I know should be controversial, and I showed you this, which should mm -hmm. be more comfortable, but I want mm -hmm. to show them both without that. I go, so does this feel better than this? And if this mm. feels right, how would you be? We, if, if, we, if you, mm. this isn't your house, but you, let's say we're on holiday there um, or you were renting it for a couple of months. 
how would you live in that space? What would you do? What time would you do what? Especially kitchens are a great example of this. What time would you be in the kitchen? Would it, would you be the first one in the kitchen? Um, would you be the next one in the kitchen? How many other people have been in the space? Um, and, okay, that was morning. So then what time would you be in the kitchen next? And what time would you be next? And what time would, if it was a Saturday, what would that change from a Tuesday? And so on. And just breaking it mm -hmm. down like this to look for um, patterns around their behavior, right. their own behavior. And then you want to, right. for, for me, I want to go, I understand this behavior. That doesn't mean I should replicate it. It means that I've got a baseline that then I can say, what right. do you think would improve that? What would what would this improve it? Would or would this be better if it was just like this? And mm -hmm. you know, when you were going mm -hmm. through the big five before, I see the people that run to, I just I know this works, so just give me this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then there's the people who are prepared to explore a bit. Um, and you know, we're going, oh, are you left-handed or right-handed? So if you were stacking a dishwasher, would you stack it from this side to that side? Would you mm -hmm. then take them out and where would you put them? This is using a kitchen as the analogy. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But try to do that through a lot of the house. Yeah, which, yeah. What, what yeah. would you be holding in this hand when you open that door? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, it, it's a, you it's see, a but game, a, a game, a fishing that, game. Right. But you see, you know, so, so what you are doing in that, right, is you are essentially, uh, you know, being, you know, in, in some sense a... Uh, 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 interact, you know, a user, you know, you're doing engaging into user design and user behavior, mm -hmm. and in some case, designing and psychology, engaging in psychology, which you know, which is what you have learned you have to do because that's how you build the space that is is good. But what I mean, wouldn't it be great though if you didn't have to rely on yeah. uh, your kind of experience and intuition, and if you just had actually a set of questions that were really used? I mean, because what you have learned, right, is that you'll get an emotional response from people, or you show them this thing, and then you have to ask these questions to figure out what it was that triggered that, and it was the knotty floor or whatever it is. Yeah. You, you, and you figure out what triggered it and, and how much you can use it and so on. But, you know, you, you know, just as an architect right now, you know, you, you do have a guide to know how how big the, you know, the drain pipes need to be and how big the bricks and those sorts of things. Wouldn't it be helpful if you also had that just to make sure you're covering the, not everything, sure, there's room, no. the bases, just yeah. covering the bases. So to make sure that you just haven't completely forgotten about this feeling of safety or, yeah. you know, or, you know, or, or whatever it is, or a feeling of family or these various things. So that, that's where I, I, you know, I think that you, would be, it would be sensational because, um, you tend to react a lot to, well, as you've got yeah. your questions, you tend to react a lot to the answers and to what's in front of you. And mm -hmm. if you had um, something that right. said, you know what, they answered this this way, that puts them in yeah. this category, whether you yeah. were ticking it off or whatever, that means yeah. that yeah. these other things should apply. Right. And in 90% right. of cases, these other things will apply. And if that's the yeah. case, then, okay, um, then if that happens, then this would be a design solution that in 90% of the cases solves that problem for people. Mm -hmm. I mean, be, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's any real thing of just making sure you have, 
yeah, covered the, the, the yeah the the main bases systematically yep. and yep. doesn't rely on some chance reaction oh. to something or something mm -hmm. or something like like that. I mean, in a way, you know. So essentially, you know, going back to kind of you know the Steve Jobs quote you mentioned about you know yep. people not knowing what they do what they want you know. And if we you take you know what I was saying with using the Big Five as an inspiration for what we might do in architecture is essentially okay. Imagine we had some kind of equivalent big five in terms of architectural preferences or responses to architecture. Yep. And then we said, okay, you know, and just like the big five, you might have six or seven, you know, big dimensions or four mm -hmm. dimensions, who knows mm -hmm. what that would, the science would have to determine that. And each one of those would have smaller dimensions within it, you know, like just as extroversion is comprised 100%. of, you, yep. you know, sociability and cheerfulness and those sorts of things. The same things might apply for various uh, uh, architectural preferences. And then that would, you know, then, I mean, because what's good about the Big Five now is that we, if at some, if anybody who's doing the study of personality, we can all give the Big Five, if we can all relate it to each other, we're not going to forget. You could easily, you know, and that's before, you know, yeah. people might be doing their study, but they wouldn't have included anything that was kind of like openness or kind of like neuroticism. But now this, what this, it's not the answer to everything, no, but no. it is it's the answer to missing out on some stuff that could be important you know ah. and if you haven't collected that data so you know essentially yeah you know at, at a very kind of broad level you know i that, that's kind of where i think it would be helpful to go just again not trying to take out the architects experience yeah. and knowledge and what <laughs> they do with that information but just provide them something systematic to build the creative house and yep. uh, on the, the the creative project. This, this takes me back to when I, I was being trained in um, systematic innovation. And um, I don't know whether you've ever come across something called TRIZ, which is Theory of Inventive Problem Solving. So a guy called Grenrik Olshler, um, a Russian scientist, studied 50,000 patents he, was, he worked in the patents office. He studied 50,000 patents. He was a patent clerk. And he deciphered uh, through the patents of them the answers that all solve all engineering problems. And there's, I can't remember, 36 answers or something. Mm -hmm. And they used mm -hmm. one to three times or one to four times to solve any problem. There's a, a matrix of what yeah. I want and what I don't yeah. want. Yeah. And suddenly when you've got that, so you've got the answers, but you've got to be able to form a question, which is a lot harder than the answers useless without the right question, of course. Um, mm -hmm. But the same thing, like if, if you went, if you said to me, okay, so Adrian, there's, you know, first of all, there's these five questions or there's these 10 questions and these 10 questions will lead you to these 10 questions. Um, if they answer this, then this, then this, then this, you will have covered all these main bases that need to be right. covered. Right. Now with that information, you're standing on a platform that's, um, you know, say 50 feet in the air and the goal's 100 feet in the air. You've only got to get yourself the last 50 feet. Right. And this mm -hmm. is how that ladder's climbed. Um, mm -hmm. Because now you're into nuances. You haven't spent all your time in broad strokes. You've got into nuances right. and now you're really relating to somebody. It'd be right. golden. It'd be golden. And you haven't missed something out. Yeah. 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 You, you you haven't forgotten about the, you know, I often laugh sometimes, you know, you draw a house and you go, God, that's all fitting together really well. Oh, shit, I didn't put a laundry in it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or a door. 
Get your own door. Yeah, you know, like, you know, oh, Jesus, there's no door to that room. We need a hallway. Uh, but, you know, like, there's that, there's that kind of thing where um, what I found studying and, and delivering systematic innovation was that mm. the, the level that you were stepping off at was so high compared to the the general broad spectrum start out point. Yeah. You've already right. you've already put these right. first blocks in. And with those yeah. blocks in, you're already a good way into your journey. Um, yeah. And I, I find that fascinating. And I, I I can see how you could use it so effectively. You know, one of the mm-hmm. One of the things that is obviously partly caused by the COVID-19 um, virus shutdown around the world and stuff is, is people's uh, awareness of their own health and being locked in has made mm-hmm. them very aware of their mental health as well, or at least the others mm-hmm. around them, their, their mental health. Um but their own health, and look, in about 1980s sometime, there was a guy or a, a group of guys, they, the, this term it got popularised called biophilic design, which is mm-hmm. indoor, indoor planting, yeah, yeah for, for want yeah, of a yeah, better yeah, term. Yeah. And yeah. when you were saying about the Big Five in the 80s, and I go back to that as well, and I go, the studies that came out that showed how much better people worked with plants around them, with nature, with biomimicry, all these things. Um, yet, interestingly enough, right now, this is a subject that's trending hugely yeah. because people yeah. have been locked away from it or made it less yeah. accessible to them. Yeah. yeah. And so you look at that and then I'm going, so then we've got to look at um, that's, that that devel- delivers a level of mental well-being and, and that in turn delivers a, a, a level of physical well-being. Um, we've got a lot of buildings that are full of toxic building materials. So we're right. putting ourselves in harm's way in a lot of in a lot of buildings, you know, whether they're gassing off at certain things or whether mm. they've got EMFs of whatever, you know, um, these, it, there's all these things that are there that make it easy to produce um, and maybe even sustainable. But, you know, you take a piece of sustainably grown wood and fill it with arsenic and then let you mm. lie under it all night right. for right. 365 right. nights, you know, and you wonder why you've got a funny rash and an itch. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, building yeah. biology thing, I think, is is we're going to see, a, I believe, we'll see a big acceleration in that. And there would be in that big five, and with what you're saying, there'd be a whole group of people that this would matter to. And they're probably those ones that were in that one where it was um, the uh, emotional, the, the, yeah, the emotional stability one where how they see the world, you know, and mm-hmm. they're seeing the world with this could totally. harm me. And, and then if you could yeah. identify that that's a client really early on, that they see the, the world from this manner rather than just a hokey kind of, yeah, I feel this might yeah. be them. And yeah, you've yeah. got the ability to support them in that and guide them to the choices and the process mm-hmm. that's going to make their life better and they're going to have the information wrapped around them that is going to deliver them a sense of security, safety, well-being, um, mm-hmm. mentally and also health-wise. So Absolutely, I, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. 
I mean, there's so many things. I mean, you know, if we could just, you know, you're you're, you're talking about sort of these chemicals in, in these ground, but you know, it, there's there's things, you know, that that are bad for us too, like feeling anxious all the time. So you know, being in a in a cubicle with your back to people, like no one ever goes and sits with their back to people. You know, if you, they go and sit with their back to the wall and face outwards because I we have the only, types of beings we are. I thought there was only gunfighters, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The old Western gunfighter always yeah. sit uh-huh. in a corner, protected on two sides. Uh-huh. You uh-huh. keep an eye on the room. But it's true. It's true. You, and like so, we, we sit in a restaurant, and if your back is to the restaurant as opposed mm-hmm. to you're facing the restaurant, um, yeah. you feel more disease than yeah. if you're seated facing the restaurant yeah. and you can see everything right. that's happening. Right. So some of these things are incredibly basic, right? And that's because the type of being we are, right? Where we have our, where our eyes are and that we have been predators and those sorts of things. And we live in the day, you know, if, if, you know, if, if you were designing restaurants for say, you know, antelope or something like that, they would feel safer in the middle where they can see danger, you know, antelope restaurant. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so, you know, so birds that would warn them that something was coming. Right. So this is the, this is you know getting into the kind of the thing we talk about. There's some things that you know we're we're like all other people, you know. And so, but you know, there's you know, so it seems you know even so much sort of low hanging fruit in this in mm. this you know endeavor of trying to take the psychology. I mean, I'm you know I'm not a sleep researcher, but you know we you know but my colleagues are. We know a lot about sleep. If we could just do some things to design buildings, you know, not even just where we are, where we work too, that are going to give us the sorts of things that we know are good for sleep in terms of the amount of light and fresh air and all, all the sorts of things that we know and the materials in the home. If, yeah. if we could just make, you know, 10% of the world sleep 10% better, we'd be hugely ahead in terms of health, in terms of mental well-being, in terms of the argument. I mean, if people could sleep better, that, you know, and so that, you know, for me, you know, it's mind-boggling that each architecture school doesn't have, you know, a department of sleep because that is so important. And what can we do about it? You know, and, and you know, interacting with the neuroscientists and the psychologists and the engineers and those sorts of things. I mean, you know, there's so many different things anyway that, that it seems, you know, just when, when you start thinking about it, why, you know, you know, sleeping isn't something that a somebody who's had no training in it should just kind of think, okay, I'm going to create a bedroom or an, or an office that is going to help people sleep later. I mean, how, how's, how is, just as I don't know, and I'm a psychologist, but my, <laughs> my, my sleep friend psychologists do know, how is an architect meant to know? how to do that Help somebody you know that incredibly important to us yeah a hundred percent you know so it, it just seems to me that these you know connections are are incredibly important and it it, it doesn't it wouldn't take a lot more than just kind of promoting being uh-huh. being open to this i i, you know. I again I, I couldn't agree more it's, it's a conversation i have um, often with clients is about sleep yeah. and you know something that we see more and more is couples who do not sleep in the same room and right. they don't so that they get good sleep and you know they right. will they will tell you and they'll preface it with you know yeah we we don't sleep in the same room but we have a wild sex life it's all okay you know we're, <laughs> we're together on this thing and all the rest yeah. but yeah. then they will explain that they you know like 
one of them sleeps later, one of them sleeps earlier, one of them, right. you know, does this or does that. One of them snores, of course, right. is, is a common one. Um, but they've got to a point in their life where they recognize that sleep is fundamental to their own health, mentally and physically. And right. it, it doesn't take long, you know, if you've got kids and you've had one baby, you certainly um, go through what sleep deprived De yeah. lack sleep depravity is that the word um yeah being deprived of decent sleep <laughs> deprivation yeah deprivation that's the word um being yeah being that has a huge huge effect and yeah other than the military that seems to use uh lack of sleep mm. as a weapon um and trains people to use it you know very well mm. Mm. um the rest of us are bloody novices and we, we only need a couple right. of bad nights sleep and we're absolute shits to deal with and we make irrational decisions and you'd be better off being drunk than, than sleep deprived right. absolutely yeah oh yeah it's, 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 it's very you know it's dangerous in, in many ways mm. and you know and that's another you know that was another one of the examples of the sorts of things we were talking about before where wouldn't it be good if you know on your list of the many things you asked you were sure to ask about sleep you know, and you're sure to ask about play and you're sure to, uh, you know, there are various things that you're, you know, are certain to ask about, you know, just to make sure that these elements get incorporated into design. Well, yeah. And if you, if you take it that one step further from that, so, you know, like if you said, well, 60% of people or 70% of people, this bedroom environment for sleeping would be the studies show that this would be right. now there'll be some outliers obviously but this main yeah. group so if you always approached it this way for the mm -hmm. ones who um ticked box a they you approach it this way and the ones who tick box right. b you approach it this way and as long as you get these kind of pieces together then the thing starts to happen and then you start to plan the nuances imagine how Glorious that would be. You'd say the size of the room needs to be, the the, the height of right. the bed needs to be, the um right. the windows need and to be. Lighting the, and lighting and the uh, ventilation and all yep. those sorts of things would, yep. come, would come into that. Yep, and noise control and mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. these kind of pieces that would um you know become a part of it. And look, I I go, it's incredible. Just the 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 difference in sleep you can get from the difference in the mattress you sleep on. Mm -hmm. So imagine if you took, yeah, and mattresses this is a great example. In fact, mattresses range from, you know, probably a hundred dollars to twenty, thirty thousand um, dollars And you'd go somewhere in there, you go, couldn't make a difference. Um, mm. From experience, I can tell you, I don't have a 20,000 or $30,000 mattress. I have a $10,000 mattress. And my wife reckons um, I don't even snore anymore. Now, I don't know whether mm -hmm. I do or don't, even if I've been drinking. I don't know whether mm -hmm. I do or don't, but she sleeps so soundly she doesn't hear me either way. <laughs> so right. so I go, yeah, like, and it only took us, you know, 20-odd uh, years of being together to be bothered um, getting something like that. Um, yeah. But it, it, it also the knock-on effects are huge, right? The knock-on effects are huge in terms of your daily life, what your yeah. your productivity, your relationship, your How relationships with other people. Kids. Yeah, everything, yeah. Yeah. everything. And and you know, you think about doing that as a an architect or a designer, you are tasked with trying to make this home or this environment for somebody that um, nurtures them 
to be their best them. Yeah. So um, I think that's, you know, that's, I mean, that, that's the thing, you know, I mean, I, I know I keep on mentioning Christopher Travis, but, but he's been such a kind of inspiration for really my whole foray into this field. Because, you know, he's, as I said, you know, he's starting from these, you know, this, this, this understanding the psychology, you know, it was, yeah. I was reminded, you know, when you were talking about the, the, the relationship, you say, hey, I want you to think about this on, your, you know, complete each of the, each of the two people think about it on their own, you know, but it's also like, uh, selfishly as you can. Yeah. But another thing, uh, again, is, is one, of, you know, I don't want to take any credit from this, but this is one of the things that, that, that Travis does, is he also says, okay, but you are living in this place in a relationship. What are the things that your mate does that drive you nuts? You know, that re really, you know, and what are the things that really help uh, your relationship and help you nurture it and improve it? You know, because they may have architectural solutions, you know, like, you know, you know, you know, give me the give me the example of, you know, he gives the example of, you know, one person who says, look, you know, it starts out like all I ask. All I ask is that he puts a lid on the toothpaste tube. That's all I ask. But he doesn't do that, you know. And then, you know, it turns out, and that signals that he doesn't respect me. And that's, that, you know, it's like you're off to the races, <laughs> you know. All right, all right, hold on. We're going to have two sinks. We're going to have two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you put in two. You put in two sinks, and you've completely and neutralized two tubes. Two tubes. Two tubes. They're, yeah. they're in tubes, and you, and you've just neutralized that thing that sets, you know, that's that's done that. And on the other hand, there was another a couple of his clients he talked about who said, you know, well, you know, one of the things that really helped her relationship, we always had this, you know, we always get up and have a cup of coffee in the morning. And that was our kind of sacred time where we would talk and make sure we caught up on things. And then we all knew and we, you know, we just maintained. Each other. Like, but, now we're, but now with kids coming down, it's just mm -hmm. chaos. We, that time's gone. He goes, okay. So... Let's build like a coffee bar in the bedroom. So you guys can get up, have your coffee together before you've gone into that world. You know, you don't leave the room, you know, but you wouldn't, you, you know, which is saying it's so in a way it seems so simple, but it's only simple because you've asked the right question and you've only asked that right. And you've only asked that right question because you are thinking about the psychology. You're thinking of the, of the home as a place where, uh, you know, psychological life is lived, you know, and family and daily mm. life. Not, I, you know, I don't mm. know, but, in, you know, but it, it's that kind of reorientation to what is a place, what is space about? It's that reorientation to that that drives the question that allows you to come up with, you know, pretty, you know, uh, you know, I'm not an architect. I never would have been able to go from, uh, hey, the coffee was really important to us to thinking about, the, the, the coffee, coffee machine, the coffee place, coffee machine. But but you know, I'm sure you and many you know other yeah. designers would yeah. go Had, would go there. But you but you never but you needed that information yep. before you yep. do it. And the, the thing is, is if you said also like it threw me back when you said that too. Do you remember those yeah. old alarm clocks that used to do a drip red coffee <laughs> yeah, yeah. or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. obviously, somebody thought about it a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. But if you think about um the fact that you know so you say well why don't we put a coffee machine in the bedroom yeah, and then yeah, yeah. then you might find the next thing is is oh no 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 we couldn't do that he needs to go and get it from the kitchen for me because <laughs> otherwise i don't feel valued enough right yeah yeah you, know, you might be, get it. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's like 
And the, the toothpaste thing is just, you know, solve it with two tubes of toothpaste. And <laughs> it, it is so simple, yeah. yet somewhere in there, there's an economy that says, oh, but why would we have two? We can share one. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But not if it makes you not feel valued. Let's spend yeah, right. the other three ninety five. You know, like, right. <laughs> let's right. blow the budget and get the, yeah, get the yeah, right yeah. Shoes, you know. Go crazy, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I often see the other one was in a bathroom is, is um, women have 10 times what men have. Um, and, you know, like in the way of stuff. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I often explain this to men. I, I, I sort of go, well, do you know why women, there's a woman's cosmetic industry and that more way more than there is men's cosmetic industry. And do you know why they have it and why they need it? And they'll go, no. And I go, well, the fact is, is that women's skin is thinner than men's. Therefore, age is quicker as well. And it's thinner because they have to be able to sense temperature change beyond what you do. You were built to run outside and hunt things and throw things and have great spatial awareness. And testosterone takes care of a lot of that for you. She was built to be a bearer, bearer of child and a nurturer and a protector of them. Therefore, she has to be able to look at her close environment. She has to be able to be in touch with so many things. That's why she multitasks. Her brain's in a million places because she has to because that's how you protect the young. That's how her job is, is to make sure there's another um, you know, race that goes on and yours is to give the sperm that's going to do it. And... If that's the case, then she is going to need more stuff and she is going to need more space. And and if you want her to have those things and she wants to have those things, then just accommodate. It. It's not so hard. Mm-hmm. We just give her more space yeah. or we give her a separate uh-huh. space. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, how hard could it yeah. be? And, you know, it, it, it's mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Again, it's that... Um, I would call it bush bloody psychology, but um, it's mm-hmm. that it's that basic uh-huh. thing of recognizing, you know, right. that 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 is what's fundamentally making up the difference between the sexes. And then, if that is what it is, then then how do you how do you support it? Not right. ignore exactly. it. Yeah, not ignore right. it. No, that's yeah. Um, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, fits you into go. that category of you know, in some like we're like all. Other people and some like we like some yeah. other people. There are some ways that you know you, you can you can divide that across sexes as well. You know. Yeah, exactly. I find it fascinating. I've got one last question which I want you to play into with this, which is, mm-hmm. I believe that we're currently, um, and I don't know the reason for it particularly, but there's a rise of what I would call feminine energy in the world. Female leaders, um, and, and feminine energy as opposed to um, doesn't mean that it has to come from a female. It can be masculine playing into feminine energy. We've got a lot at the moment, a lot of curves, arches, softenings mm. of, of shapes and stuff like that. Um, and I often ask architects, um, so has that building got feminine energy or is it masculine energy? And I'm really just playing with them, you know, it's like a game. Um, but it's fascinating to hear and see Um what how people categorize that and mm-hmm. you know i always have a bit of a joke like that the house when you're driving up to it if it's a big statement house is his mm-hmm. and um 
as soon as you go through the door, you're in her home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Might mm-hmm. be your house, but you're in her home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it, it's a joke, but it's not a joke as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because men will typically come and go and stuff. But that whole masculine feminine energy thing, how does that play into mm-hmm. space from what you've learned so far? Well, it, it plays, it play, I guess it, at a number of different levels, it, it, it plays in. So, I mean, so, you know, a lot of, you know, I first got into this whole field was, was trying to look at how people um, express themselves in their spaces. So, you know, if you go into somebody's space, their living space, for example, you know, can, what can you learn about their personality? That was essentially the first study mm-hmm. I did in, in this area. You know, so, so if you think about the big five and you go into somebody's space you've never met, you know, which of those big five can you judge? Can you can you accurately tell whether somebody's extroverted or introverted or high or low on openness or conscientious or those sorts of things, you know? Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and, you know, it, it, it turns out that you actually can judge very accurately, even if you've never met them, some of those traits much better than others. You know, uh, both the, the, the trait that most people guess that you can judge accurately is conscientiousness, because if you think that's to do with orderliness and how tidy and all, you know, those sorts of things. And indeed, you can judge that accurately. But in fact, you can judge much more accurately people's levels of openness experience. That's the one you can you can judge uh, most, uh, most. Um, uh, it visually shows accurately. in this space. Yeah. Yeah, it shows. It shows up. So, for, and it really shows up in terms of the signs of openness. Are you know, signs are the sorts of things that interest open people, right? These people tend to be interested in the arts and philosophy and ideas and those sorts mm-hmm. of things. So, you know, they tend to have original art and and really just unconventional spaces. Their places are just unusual. You know, uh, that, you know, a good you know, a good way of thinking about it is, is, for example, both high and low openness people sometimes have flags in their places, but. It, you know, we did our study in the U.S., but and the people low on openness will tend to have flags of the U.S. or their state or something like that. Right. Whereas people high on openness will tend to have flags of other countries and different countries and wow. all those sorts of things. You know, so I mean, you know, again, it's not it's not the case that one if you see this, it means that. But these are just broad tendencies that, yeah. that you tend to pick up on. Uh, and one of the one of the um, uh, the dimensions where people also pretty accurate at judging was in terms of this uh, of this emotional stability trait that they were pretty good at judging how high on emotion versus emotional stability versus neurotic people are. and we you know we couldn't really uh, figure out um, how people were doing it um, they were but what we realized what they were doing partially is um, is is, is that they could figure out immediately whether they're in a male or a female's room that you, for all the reasons you have said, you can yep. determine. And then you can make, essentially you can use stereotypes to make a judgment on the basis of that. Now, you know, are, are stereotypes accurate? Well, sometimes they are and sometimes they're not, right? We, you know, I mean, we, we have, you know, the, you know, the, the stereotypes that, you know, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, of, based on all kinds of things. You know, the, the Dutch people are taller than than uh, people from you know in Vietnam. Well, yeah. on average, that is also true. You know, so yeah. some stereotypes have a, a kernel of truth to them. Some do not. You know, so the uh, and but it turns out that that there are well well known and well documented uh, differences, uh, sex differences in some of the personality traits. One of which is neuroticism. So uh, women tend to be higher on neuroticism or 
or lower on emotional stability, however you want to put it, than, than men, you know. So in a way, people can go, so essentially people can go into these places and, and judge these sorts of things. Now, you know, and so, and, and there's, of course, a good reason why there are these differences. And, you know, and it's for some of the reasons that you have said is that, you know, in, in our evolutionary past, if it, it, it was adaptive to be sensitive to the threats, especially if you were looking after young. You know, and yeah. you can see it in the wild all the time. You know, I, I, I look at the birds outside here and, you know, you see that when when the ducks have young around, they're just incredibly vigilant, you know, yes. and yeah. essentially yeah. they've gone up and so. they've gone up in their neuroticism. So it's, it's, it's essentially that. So that so I think this. um uh you know, so that's so that's the, that's just looking at kind of sex differences rather than than the femininity, but the but you know if you if you turn to some of the uh, the neuroscientific research that's been done, there's a a, a very innovative researcher called uh, Oshin Vartanian who is doing research on exactly the sorts of things you're looking at on preferences, to sort of basic neurological preferences for curves versus straight lines and so on okay. and he finds and he and he finds that you know people do prefer certain shapes of spaces you know yep. and that you know and they do prefer they tend to prefer these rounded rounded ceilings at a very very basic level and he can you know look at the sort of the neurology underlying those preferences wow. which then which then raises the question of why like why do we prefer those sorts of things uh, and Mm-hmm. You know, again, going back to the sort of the evolutionary argument that you were mentioning earlier on, in terms of is is like well, you know, it's one of the most basic evolutionary tasks we have. If you imagine ourselves fifty thousand years ago, it's finding a place that will support our life. Okay, yep. so those of our ancestors who went out and sat down in the middle of the desert, they didn't. They didn't pass they, on. They didn't fare very did, well. <laughs> they, yeah, we're, we're not. We're, they, didn't, they didn't fare very well. Nor are those who, you know, went into, you know, so, you know. And if you think there are certain things, given the type of uh, species we are, that we, um, that are good for us. So we yes. need to be, you know. So we, it's good if we are in a kind of uh, up high, so we can see yeah. the prospects that are there for us. And it's good if we that allows us to see danger coming, but also gain. Yeah, you know, we always need to be around water because yeah. of some sort. We it's good if there is game around. It's good if there's sort of sparse trees. You know, and this was of course the basis of what's known as a prospect and refuge theory, which is the idea that you know that that, that just as you take you know that there a, you know a bird needs to build its nest in a location that is near its a food source and is high enough not to get flooded, but, but, not, but low enough to also protect it from other birds, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. The bird, the bird isn't thinking, oh, I need to make sure my nest is high enough away from the water so it doesn't get flooded. And it doesn't, it's not thinking I need to be near worms and I need to be away from eagles or whatever it is that eats them. It's just those, those birds that had that preference for a nest like that, they passed on their genes. Those ones who built their the ones the ones who the water, tried a different path they're not they here anymore. Pass on their genes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the same applies for us. You know, those of us who built our spaces in, in certain in certain um, in in certain areas, so near water yep. and high yep. up and protected. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we those survived are, 
Or nowadays it's, it's closer to a Starbucks or a supermarket or something. But if you take it to, to yeah. the analogy yeah. of now, it's being around enough people that are of an, the same socioeconomic de demographic. It's, um, it's you know, we, yeah, we, but I we, think we tribally kind of bunch ourselves around things that um, fit with our psyche of who we see ourselves as being, but also so it has the other stuff. When we go back a few steps, it becomes very primal and it's um yeah it's survival but i think the, the stuff you're talking about evolution wouldn't have been able to no. to change quickly enough for that no. right so you know to being near the starbucks but we still do if you look i mean i i love to see it like uh, you know i, I read the dzine uh yep. uh you know Magazine. newsletter yeah. and and yeah. i can always see i always can predict like which ones are going to get you know oh this is such a beautiful place and it's always a place that's kind of like a cave. It's yeah. thick walls with overhanging, <laughs> overlooking out a hill. It's on a hill and there's water around and often like sparse trees, you know, kind of, you know, reminiscent of the environment in which our ancestors grew up. So, you know, I, I think these things, but no, I don't think anybody is, no one is who's commenting on what a great house this is is explicitly that. referring to that they're just saying it's beautiful it's lovely it, it, it behaves it, you know it sort of it sort of resonates with us as a species and so just to get back to your question i think you know why are we seeing these curves and so on like that i think you know these sorts of designs are you know resonate with something in us that is quite basic and deep and this is also the sorts of preferences that you know uh Oshin vartanian is also picking up on on these sorts of you know what you might you know what you called you know feminine designs but it's feminine essentially this yeah. yeah it's the sort of the bio it's this it's the it's the shapes that are reminiscent of the contexts that served us well or served our ancestors mm -hmm. well even mm -hmm. if that's no longer Adaptive, but nonetheless yeah. it's very deep it's very deep in us just as we are you know likely to be frightened of a snake not you know, electricity plug even though electricity plugs are more dangerous to us it's so true <laughs> what a great what a great last line <laughs> don't play with the snake or the plugs okay yeah. <laughs> both can kill you <laughs> Uh, I love that. I love that whole um, that, you know, basically evolution can't keep up with what we're doing. We don't right. physically uh, or mentally, uh, we might mentally evolve quicker than we physically evolve to our environment. Yeah. Um, but the, the fundamentals are still the fundamentals. The baselines are, yeah, right. they don't. I don't even know whether they ever do change or whether we just layer more complication around them that masks them. You know, um, yeah. Well, there's it, certainly relaxation and evolutionary pressures, right? We're not, you know, those of us who are short-sighted now survive, and we wouldn't have done, you know. Yes. And the same, same might go for some psychological things. Some of the psychological traits that would have got us into trouble before, like being perhaps incredibly relaxed, yep. you know, being emotionally stable. Yeah. Those, those are now, you know, can we've persist got, in the population. We've got space for them now. Yeah, we, we, we can yeah. put ourselves in a safe place to have that. Yeah. Whereas the other guy yeah. got eaten by a tiger or a wolf or some right. damn thing. Cause Absolutely. Just, <laughs> and all they the other attention. people said it had to happen. <laughs> it was, the guy say? was just never on to what was yeah. going on around him. Yeah. It had to happen. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
I love the fact that it's evolutionary as well, that um, mm-hmm. it layers in and then you come back to the basics of um, survival of the fittest and, you know, nature's nature's laws, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, that, mm-hmm. And w- what we do is, is we, we manipulate those in a very mild sense to um, let more than the survival of the fittest um, uh, survive, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Thank God, because I probably wouldn't be here, you know. <laughs> I, I certainly wouldn't. Exactly. <laughs> Don't know where we'd be, but yeah, we wouldn't have offspring <laughs> and, and be passing on no. these lousy genes. <laughs> Sam, that was fascinating, man. Really, really fascinating. And I, I, I'm really looking forward to sharing this, especially uh, with the design community, because it brings up so many great mm-hmm. questions. And mm-hmm. the faster your work can deliver a set of baseline great mm-hmm. questions. Yeah. I think the, uh, the everybody wins. Everybody wins. Not yeah. not just the architects, but the people who live in things win. Of and course, yeah. That they're, they're the biggest winner, and it doesn't dumb everybody down because it just makes a higher level of yeah. platform to step off to innovate from. Um, right. I think it's absolutely I mean, it's, brilliant. It's, it's any professional. You know, you go to the you know the doctor has their questions they ask you, but then they use their knowledge and insight and professional you know experience to decide what to do you know we're still not you know we're still not treated by a robot and we still don't need our houses built by a robot either you know there's still room for the the creativity once you have once you have the information that you need yeah yeah exactly otherwise it's guesswork so um and, and and that can just land as guesswork but if you could cover all the bases like you say i think we've got somewhere really brilliant to go from and um mankind all benefit and everybody should really consider their sleep i take that one as well like big time <laughs> big time huge important yeah yeah it makes all the all the difference to life sam i first of all want to th- thank kate Noel because she is the one who told me hunt you down and find you <laughs> and then i'd like to thank you for such an engaging and took me to places that I didn't expect a conversation. It was really, really fabulous. Um, next time I'm yeah. in Austin, Texas, it will be probably when you're in Austin, Texas. So uh, ah, we, will make, we will Please. make sure to catch up without a doubt. Mm-hmm. That would be really fantastic. Really, yeah, really totally. good. Totally. Absolutely. Thank you again. Cheers, man. Not at all. So much. Thanks for having me on. It's been interesting. Well, that was certainly a fascinating chat with Sam. If you keep listening, Sam has a request where architects and designers can fill out a survey which will create an amazing baseline in architectural questioning which will benefit the client as well as the architect. Please go from here. Hi there, my name is Sam Gosling and I am a professor of psychology at the University of Texas at Austin in the United States. And I have a long-standing interest in the connections between people and the places in which they live. Uh, And that interest has led me to want to understand more about the psychological connections between people and architecture. Um, And as part of that work, we are starting a project trying to understand the basic dimensions of psychological ambiances or, or feelings that people have when they are in different spaces. 
Uh, so in collaboration with the architecture firm Cushing Terrell, uh, we have uh, created a survey which asks people about the types of ambiances they would like to feel in different spaces. So for example, when you go into a, a lobby of a building, what are the sorts of feelings that you would like to experience? And the idea is that we can use uh, the responses that people give to try to construct a basic taxonomy of psychological ambiances. And we can find out whether we need two or three dimensions to kind of capture most of these ambiances, or, or do we need many more? We just don't know because there's been virtually no systematic, quantitative, empirical research on this topic. So if you're interested, uh, we would love it if you would uh, click on the link provided, which will take you to a survey. That survey will take about 20 minutes to complete, uh, depending how quickly you go through it. Um, and we will be able to then use those data once we have collected enough of them to run our statistical analyses to try to understand these basic dimensions. Now, I should be very clear that uh, we are unable to provide you with immediate feedback because we need these data before we can uh, create the dimensions that will allow us to give people feedback. Um, however, if, you, uh, if you'd like to learn more about the project once we have the results, there is a space for you to put your email address and we will send you the results of the research uh, once that research is complete. Uh, and it's also possible that once we have done more work in this, we will be able to send you more personalized feedback based on the answers that you gave. Uh, naturally, all of this research has been um, approved by the relevant uh, institutional review boards, the IRBs. Um, so if you would like to take this and be part of this research, we would greatly appreciate your input. We really are seeking the input of people who are interested in space uh, and the connections between space uh, and psychology. Uh, and your responses and your thoughts on that would be tremendously valuable to us. Should you have any questions about this, please don't um, hesitate to send me an email. I'd be happy to hear from you. My email address uh, is provided, but it's, uh, it's also samg, S-A-M-G, at austin.utexas.edu. Uh, and thank you for uh, any help you can provide with this project. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? 
That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.